Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode 10 of the winter semester quarantine edition of my show. Today, my sports topics, I have a very fun NFL free agency topic that I want to get into a little bit later in the show. I'm also going to talk about some NHL stuff, and don't worry, it won't just be the Flames, although I have my thoughts on some of their games over the last week. Uh, but today, my lead segment is going to be the UEFA Champions League and the quarterfinals, or sorry, excuse me, the round of 16 came to an end and the quarterfinal matchups have been drawn. So I'm going to go through all of that right now. So the games last week that took place, we had on Tuesday, Manchester City and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Man City won very easily, 2 to nothing. They won 4 nothing over the two legs. Not really a lot there, positively, for Mönchengladbach. Manchester City onto the quarterfinals. The second game on the Tuesday was Real Madrid versus Atalanta. This game, a little bit closer, but still Real Madrid winning 3-1 the final score. They went 4-1 on aggregate and move on. It was, I think Atalanta was a very popular upset pick in this round of 16 matchup against Real Madrid, but they still have a lot of good players with experience. Madrid just aren't at their peak anymore like they used to be a few years ago. Atalanta, though, still a really good team. I really like where they're going. They'll be a team to watch next season. On Wednesday, we had Chelsea and Atletico. Atletico, I think, has to be one of the biggest disappointments of the entire round of 16. They really just didn't play well against Chelsea. And credit to Chelsea, N'Golo Kante was amazing in this game. Chelsea got a goal out of Hakim Ziyech on the counterattack, and then they got a second goal late that Emerson fired in with basically no time left on the clock. But it has to be said, though, Chelsea relatively comfortable. And that's not to say that it was an easy win, 3-0 uh, over the two legs, but I expected so much more out of Atletico. This team is still in first place in La Liga, but they have been stumbling like crazy. So we'll see. Atletico has a ton to play for left, like I said, going for the La Liga title, but very disappointing in the Champions League, to say the least. And then the other game on the Wednesday was Bayern Munich and Lazio. This game was kind of over in the first game. Uh, Bayern won the second game 2-1, but it was 6-2 on aggregate. Lazio was never, ever close to competing in this tie. And so then we have the quarterfinal matchups, which is very, very exciting. So this is the way the quarterfinals and the semifinals have shaped up because now we know the entire side of the bracket on the left side and the right side. So on one side of the bracket, we have Manchester City versus Borussia Dortmund. And we have Bayern Munich versus Paris Saint-Germain, which is definitely the loaded heavyweight side of the bracket. Because on the other side, we have Porto versus Chelsea and Real Madrid versus Liverpool. So I'll start with the so-called easy side of the bracket and it's kind of the easy side of the bracket porto was probably the eighth best team in this quarter in these quarterfinals chelsea might have been the seventh best team in these quarterfinals so i think chelsea has to be thrilled they drew porto and i think porto equally should be thrilled that they get to go up against chelsea 
in this quarterfinal matchup because one of them is going to go to the semis. And I don't know if I would say that if they were facing another team. But here we are. You only play who you're drawn against. And so Chelsea-Porto should be, should be an interesting game. I think Porto, obviously, a lot of confidence after the win against Juventus in the previous round. They surprised me, I think with their ability to go forward and attack. And I know Porto didn't score that many goals against Juventus, but I love the way they were able to, able to generate chances in the final third. And that's something that I think will bode well for them against Chelsea. Although Chelsea has been in really good form lately since Thomas Tuchel took over as head coach. So I would probably lean Porto only because I'm not sure if, Chelsea's going to be able to keep that run of form going over the next few weeks. They might be able to. And Chelsea has some really good players. But I think I'm leaning slightly Porto right now. Because that win over Juventus, I think they showed a lot in that win. And I think they might just be able to pull off yet another upset. We'll see. The other matchup, though, and these two teams equally, like Porto and Chelsea, have to be thrilled. Real Madrid and Liverpool. Now, drawing each other isn't ideal, right? I, I'm sure Liverpool and Real Madrid would have rather seen somebody else on the opposite side of them, especially since there's a little bit of history with these two that I'll get into here in just a second. But overall, when you think about it, Liverpool and Real just really have to beat the other one. If they're able to beat one another, then the winner of that game plays Porto or Chelsea, who they will be heavy favorites against to go to the final. So in that sense... I think they both have to be really, really happy with the draw that they were given. But again, we'll wait and see. But I, I think generally Madrid and Liverpool should be pretty thrilled. And like I said, this matchup has a lot of history to it. This was the 2018 Champions League final. And let's just say there was some bad blood. Specifically, early in that game, Sergio Ramos basically pulled a wrestling move on Mo Salah, who then ended up getting injured. Thankfully, Salah was able to come back at the World Cup, but he wasn't really the same player he was prior to that. Liverpool lost that game 3-1 was the final score. And let's just say there's the, that Madrid team that faced Liverpool in the Champions League final that year, there's a lot of those players still on the team. And a lot of the Liverpool players who were on that team still are on the team. So... If you're looking for a game with potentially a lot of a lot of disagreements, to put it lightly, a lot of bad blood, this is the one for sure. Madrid-Liverpool should be exciting. Can't wait for that one. Alright, and then moving to the other side of the bracket. So I'll start with Manchester City versus Borussia Dortmund. Well, for the third straight year, Man City is going to be a favorite in a you know knockout stage tie. And we'll see if they lose for the third straight time in a, in a matchup they should be favored in. Because City got Leon last year in the little bubble in Lisbon. And they lost. And the year before that, they had Spurs. They lost to. So, here we are. Manchester City, Borussia Dortmund. City will be the favorites, again. Manchester City has basically run away with the Premier League title at this point. It's not even really worth talking about. Man City has been so good in the league, and like I just said, they won pretty easily against Borussia Mönchengladbach in the round of 16. So there's a lot to like with City. Their, their team is obviously ex exceptional, 
And, you know, on one hand, it's hard to see Dortmund winning. But on the other hand, Man City has been really fragile in these bigger Champions League games. And Dortmund happened to have a player who's pretty good right now in the name of Erling Haaland, who has been in exceptional form. Haaland basically scored almost all of their goals in the round of 16. And I would expect nothing less from such a tremendous, tremendous player. So there's a lot of upset potential here. I would probably lean Manchester City because it's hard to pick against them when their team is so good and playing so well. But man, it's it's very tempting to look at Dortmund and say that they have all the ingredients you would want in a potential upset of this matchup. And then finally, we have Bayern Munich and we have PSG. Rematch of the 2020 Champions League final. So this is, you know, obviously the, you know, the one side of the bracket has more big teams right now than the other side. But if you're talking about a true, true heavyweight matchup, it's not Madrid and Liverpool. It's Bayern and PSG. These two teams have just ridiculous amounts of good players. Bayern Munich is one of those teams that right now it's really hard to find a weakness with them. Their team, in pretty much every position, is amazing. You got, you know, Boateng and Alaba in defense. You got, of course, Canadian Alfonso Davies, who's doing his thing at their quote-unquote left-back position. It's, it doesn't really look like a normal left-back position, but, I mean, down the flank, super dominant. And then the one place that you could maybe nitpick with Bayern is their wingers, because you have Serge Gnabry... You have Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman, who are kind of the three guys they rotate in those positions. And so you can nitpick a little bit and say, oh, well, other teams have better wingers than Bayern Munich does. And that's true. But the counter-argument is that Bayern just seemed to have, you know, of those three guys, Coman, Sané, and, and Nabry, one of those three seems to always be on their game, no matter what, right? You know, one game, it might be Nabry's game. The next game, it might be Sané's game. The next game, it might be Coman's game. So they don't ever seem to have a let-off at that position because at least one of them is going to play well any given game. And so, you know, maybe you can nitpick a little bit at that position, but they play really well there. And those are good players. Those are not bad players at all. They're just maybe not top top of their position players but I mean they're not that far off so that's that's kind of the only thing you really can say I mean outside of that you know Kimmich in midfield he's Kimmich's one of the best players in the world I think he's criminally underrated Robert Lewandowski's the best striker on the planet like there's no debate about that and yeah there's really not not a lot you can say negatively about this Bayern Munich team there's a reason why they're the defending champions PSG, though, on the other hand, while they might not have the perfect roster, quote-unquote, that Bayern Munich has, they certainly have plenty of good players of their own. Marquinhos has been a tremendous... He's had a little... I don't want to say bounce back, because that's unfair to him. But he's had a little bit of a revitalization at defense, because he was playing a lot of midfield last year. Now he's playing a lot more defense. He's been really good there for them. Keylor Navas is I think the most underrated goalie on the planet and has been for years. 
he continually steps up in big games and he i don't think Kaylor navas ever gets the credit that i think he deserves from for being such a big part of those real madrid teams that won three straight champions league titles but of course for psg the headliners are kylian mbappe and neymar neymar we'll see about his status he's been injured here forever basically so we'll keep an eye on him but kylian mbappe was tremendous against barcelona in the round of 16 and Mbappe is a player that I've been kind of waiting for here for a while because I think Kylian Mbappe is really close to becoming the best player in the world. And I think he's been really close for about a year and a half now. And this could be his chance to pull ahead of everybody else. Because I think, you know, Mbappe's kind of been around that, you know, top five, top 10 player in the world type of thing. But he's 22 years old now. And it almost feels inevitable that he will take the best player in the world mantle. And it's not a question of if he does, it's about when. It could be right now, could be in the summer in the European Championships, could be next season. But it really feels like it's coming from him. So this could be the chance for Mbappe to show everybody he's the best player on the planet. So that's the Champions League. Very excited for those matchups in April. I'm probably leaning Bayern but again watch out for PSG I'm leaning Man City watch out for Dortmund I'm leaning Porto watch out for Chelsea Madrid and Liverpool is a little more of a toss-up but if I was forced to pick I would probably pick Liverpool and so if that if that is the case it would be Liverpool and Porto in the semis and it would be Man City and Bayern in the other semifinal so that's it. That's all I got for the Champions League stuff. On to NFL free agency. So last week I did some of my winners and losers of the early part of NFL free agency. This week I thought I would do something a little bit different because I brought back my tiers, my categories little thing that I did at the start of the NFL season last year and at the midway point of the season. So I thought I would do an updated version based on free agency, based on the outlook of the teams. This isn't how they finished last season. This is how they look going into the next season. So I will start in the NFC. The favorite category, I mean, pretty easy, Tampa Bay. The Ta Tampa Bay is the defending champion. They basically re-signed all of their important players. They haven't lost anybody important. There's no reason for them not to be in the favorite category. In the contender category, I have the Green Bay Packers, the LA Rams, the San Francisco 49ers, and a team that might surprise you, the Arizona Cardinals. And I know Arizona signed a lot of older players like AJ Green and JJ Watt, but I really like what Arizona did because even if it's just for one season, and it might just be for one season, but... Arizona, I think, could be a team that takes the next leap from being like an 8-8 eight eight team to being like a 10-win team, to an 11-win team. I think Arizona's really good. And Kyler Murray, this is going to be his third season as quarterback for them. There's a lot to like with Arizona. And so maybe I have them a little bit too high, but I think Arizona's going to be a contender in the NFC next season. My next category is the in-between category. So these are the teams that... You know, could they make the playoffs? Yes. Could they miss the playoffs with eight or like seven or eight wins? Also, yes. So they're kind of this in-between stage where they're not really good enough 
to be a contender, but they're not bad enough to like, you know, be out of like playoff contention basically. So in the in-between category, I have the Seattle Seahawks, the New Orleans Saints, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas is here kind of because of their division. I don't think Dallas is that great of a team, but they'll probably get at least eight or nine wins because they play in the NFC East. Minnesota is a team on the decline who might even go lower on this list. I don't love a lot of their decisions over the last couple of seasons. New Orleans has lost basically every, like, every middle of the roster player, it seems like, from their team. So they still have a lot of their top-end guys, but they have no depth anymore. And it feels like this is going to be a tough season for the Saints. It doesn't mean they won't make the playoffs necessarily, but it's hard to see New Orleans finishing with more than nine wins. Seattle, meanwhile, is here because... Their defense needs some work. They lost Shaq Griffin. They still need like more help in the secondary. And they need more help at pass rush. And they probably still need more help on the offensive line. Although I do like the fact that they at least, you know, did something there with signing Gabe Jackson. Or sorry, excuse me. Trading for Gabe Jackson from the Vegas Raiders. So they did do something. But I think Seattle needs to do a lot more before I put them any higher in these categories. The Dark Horse team in the NFC, I have the Washington football team. Now this is a little bit a little bit dependent. So I'm assuming here that Washington will pick a quarterback in the draft. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I'm making the assumption they will because it feels it feels really tough to imagine this team going into the season with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke as the two QBs and the only two QBs. So there's a lot to like with Washington, great defense, all that. But I think a quarterback, they'll probably draft somebody. Probably. We'll keep an eye on that. My next category is the rebuilding category. I have the New York Giants, Carolina Panthers, and Detroit Lions. The reason I have these teams in the rebuilding category is because I don't think any of these teams are that unrealistic to think that they're actually a playoff team. And I think they still have a ways to go as far as roster building. The Giants are a team that might move up or down depending on how the season goes, but they're basically figuring out if Daniel Jones is worth keeping. And so I can respect that. Daniel Jones was the player they drafted number six overall. Time to see what he's what he's made of, basically. And then the final category in the NFC, the tire fire category. We have the Atlanta Falcons, the Chicago Bears, and my Philadelphia Eagles. Atlanta's in here because I think Atlanta thinks they're better than what they are, and I don't know if they're fully willing to commit to a rebuild that they probably should commit to. The Bears are in here because they signed Andy Dalton. No more words need to be said about that. And my team is in here because, as I've described many times in great detail on my show, there doesn't seem to be any proper direction with my Philadelphia Eagles. So, they firmly belong in the tire fire category. Alright, on to the AFC. So the favorites, pretty easy, Kansas City. I know they lost some players, but until someone beats them, Kansas City is in the favorite spot. Contender-wise, I have the Buffalo Bills, which makes sense. They made the AFC Championship game. I have the Cleveland Browns, who I think did a tremendous job. Troy Hill and John Johnson fantastic signings of free agency and my other team is the Tennessee Titans Tennessee 
you know, it's weird. They, they're maybe not the best team on paper, but I do like Derrick Henry. I think Ryan Tannehill has proven himself enough as a quarterback, and I think Tennessee is going to be better next year. I'm not sure how much better, but they'll be a little bit better. My in-between category. This is where it might get a little controversial in the AFC. So I actually have the Baltimore Ravens in here. And Baltimore is in here because they lost Ngakwe and they lost Matthew Judon and they didn't replace either one. And those were the two best pass rushers on the team. So without a proper pass rush, it's hard to put Baltimore higher than the in-between category. Miami is the next team I have in this spot. Miami is a little bit of an asterisk team. And the, the only reason I say that is because they have an X-factor in their quarterback, Tua Tungvaloa. If Tua plays well next season, they're going up to the contender category. If he doesn't play well next season, well, eh, might be a tough season for Miami fans. But Miami could easily move up is the point I'm trying to make. The next team is the New England Patriots. Made a lot of good signings. A little bit of a question mark at quarterback, though. And the last team is the Indianapolis Colts who still haven't done enough for me. The Colts need a left tackle. They need wide receivers, but they refuse to spend any money. And so I can't put them any higher than this right now. They still have big needs on their roster. Dark Horse team, the LA Chargers. Love the Chargers going into next season. If you're looking for like a sneaky team that's going to you know maybe win the division when no one's expecting them to, watch out for the Chargers. Love what they've done. The rebuilding category, I have the Bengals, the Jaguars, and the Jets, which I don't think is that surprising. And the tire fire category, the uh, Vegas Raiders are in here because they got rid of all of their offensive line, and their offensive line was one of the best in football last year. So I have no idea what the Raiders are doing. They're completely confusing. The Denver Broncos, I think, are bet. I think they think they're better than what they are, which isn't a reality of their own team. And the Steelers are in here because they insist on sticking with Ben Roethlisberger, who's clearly way past his sell-by date. And finally, we have a so-bad-they-deserve-their-own-category, the Houston Texans. Houston is everything wrong with an NFL franchise right now. They have no draft picks. They have no promising young players. They have no, like... They have, like, bad contracts. They have no salary cap space. They have nothing. Houston has absolutely nothing optimistic about them. Because even the other teams in the tire fire category, you can at least say the Steelers have a good defense. You can at least say the Raiders have, you know, a competent quarterback and a couple of other nice players. You can at least say the Eagles have Jalen Hurts, who might be something. You can at least say the Bears have a decent defense. You can at least say the Falcons, you know, have a competent quarterback and, you know, some good players like Calvin Ridley. You can't say any of that with the Texans. You can't say any optimistic things about them. And now there's the Deshaun Watson thing. So with the Watson thing, I'm not going to speak about it too much because it's still an ongoing situation. But basically, the situation involving Deshaun Watson and 14 different women is really bad. And that's putting it lightly. And so I will say I'm very glad that all 14 women so far that have come forward did choose to come forward because... It's obviously never an easy thing to do in those situations. And I hope there's a situation, or excuse me, I hope this, this situation has a resolution 
sooner rather than later. And let's just say Deshaun Watson shouldn't be on the football field. That's what I'm going to comment about that. Like I said, ongoing. We'll see what happens. And so, yeah, for all of those reasons, Houston is in their own category because they have no hope. All right. And that is the NFL stuff. My final segment, a little bit of hockey. So I wanted to do just a really quick run through on the Canadian North Division. And I'll talk a little bit about Calgary, but not too long because I've, I think, exhausted all of my frustrations in this team in previous weeks. So if you want to listen to that, you can go listen to that. So Toronto has been stumbling like crazy over the last couple of weeks, but they're still in first place. And I think Leafs fans should at least feel confident in the sense that they're not going to drop out of the playoffs. But this team has to figure out their goaltending going in because Frederick Anderson, not sure if you can rely on him. Can you actually rely on Jack Campbell? Eh, not sure about that. So Toronto, a little bit of a goaltending thing right now. Edmonton has actually played pretty well over the last little while, which hurts my soul to say. But they seem to be getting more and more contributions out of players that aren't McDavid and Dreisaitl. I'm not sure if that's sustainable, but they're getting it right now. And as long as they continue to get it, Edmonton will be a playoff team. Winnipeg, after doing really well, has fallen into a little bit of a disappointment over the last week or so. Jets, I think, are still a good team. They're still trying to figure themselves out a little bit. But I wouldn't be surprised if Winnipeg picked up a defenseman at some point, either on the waiver wire or through a trade. Montreal has been extremely inconsistent, 4-2-4 and four in their last 10 games. The Canadians, I don't know, they, sometimes they show you they're really good, and other times they show you they're not so good. We'll see. Montreal is a weird team to figure out right now. Vancouver has been doing really well as of late. They have seven wins in the last 10 games. Thatcher Demko standing on his head has pretty much been the main reason why Vancouver has decided to win games recently. But it's, here's the thing, Vancouver has 35 points, Montreal has 37. So just points-wise, you would say, oh, well, Vancouver's two points out of a playoff spot. And that's true until you look at the fact that Montreal has played 31 games and Vancouver's played 36. So Vancouver has played five more games than Montreal and is still two points behind them. It's really hard to see Vancouver playing well enough to make up that deficit. It's not impossible, but it's really hard to see it happening. Speaking of things really hard to see right now, the Calgary Flames. That's my easy way to put it. So a, cu a couple weeks ago, I did the math on the Flames as to how much they needed to win to make the playoffs realistically. We are now at the point where in order to hit 65 points, the Flames need 15 wins, six losses, and two overtime losses in their remaining games. Is that impossible? No. Is it likely? Also, no, because Calgary, again, has lost to Ottawa. And Ottawa has four wins against the Flames this year. If you're looking at a big reason why Calgary probably won't be in the playoffs this year, that is exhibit A of the evidence. That's all I will say. Ottawa, meanwhile, like I said, has looked, a you know, they beat Calgary a lot. But they they've generally, I think, look pretty good. Compar comparatively to what you know their roster is like no one's expecting them to be anything other than the seventh place team but ottawa has shown a lot more fight and a lot more life in their team and they've been getting better results over the last little while than they did 
very early in the season. So that's it. That's all I got for the NHL stuff. And I want to thank everybody for listening into my show today. Next week, more sports topics. Lots of fun to break down. And to everybody out there, be happy, be healthy, and stay safe.